have you noticed it seems like every day a new product or a new methodology comes out teaching you and I a better way to study to lose weight or a product or supplement that you can take to boost your memory power but you know what when it comes to Christianity there are certain passages that teach you and I how to improve our love for God and so as we continue our study here in James chapter 4 we're going to be looking at eight exhortations eight things that you and I as a Christian need to be doing and as you and I apply these things in our lives we will find that we will love the world less as we love God more. So turn to James chapter four and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray you guys are blessed in the Lord. As always, I want to welcome you guys here to the podcast. So, so blessed and grateful to have you guys listening as we continue our study here in the book of James. And so as you guys are here with me and we're about to study James chapter four, I pray you're blessed. I pray that the time that you and I spend together as we look at God's word will be an encouragement to you, that it will uh, inspire you to take what you learn and to take the spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with through the power of his spirit to go out there to minister to the needs around you. Now, if you're suffering and you're going through a difficult time, I pray this will be a time, a sweet time that will encourage your spirit, that will restore you back to good health. Because I know my friends, when you're out there and, and, and you're faced with some hardships and you're questioning your, your faith or you're having a difficult time trying to talk to certain people in your life. It can be difficult. And so I pray that you find this podcast to be a time where you can be refreshed. And sometimes you guys, and I, and you know, this is such a, um, I say this, you know, to you in, in, in a way to acknowledge that we don't always have it together. And so I know sometimes when people are listening to a podcast rather than maybe just, you know, open the Bible and just spend time by themselves. Sometimes it requires that. But I do pray that as you do uh, listen to the podcast and, and that you do open the Bible and you allow God's word to speak to you. And so I just pray that this is a great avenue to help you stand strong in the word um, as you guys continue to to listen to these podcasts. And so I want to thank you guys again for just making the time because I know there's a lot of things going going on in our lives and it could be very difficult sometimes to take a break and so whether you're listening to this working out or you're in the car or you're in the privacy of your home and you do have the Bible open or you're with a group, there are several of you guys out there who've let us know that you use these podcasts in your study groups. And so that is a blessing as well. And I know we also are very blessed to have a lot of my fellow pastors around the world who listen to this podcast and it's a time for them to be fed as spiritual leaders. And so I don't take any of this lightly and I want you guys to know that. And so if you've missed any previous podcasts, as always, go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. My notes are available. If you did miss the previous podcast, podcast 151, because this is 152, as we look at James chapter four, verses eight through 10, make sure you check that out because last time we were talking about James chapter four, seven through 10, and we talked about the three evils. 
And remember, this is under the series called How to Be a Lover of God and Not a Lover of the World. And so James was distinguishing between these three different evils. And what were they? Verses one through three, the flesh. That we're not to give into the passions of the flesh. The second evil was the world. If we love the world, James says there's no friendship with God because you're at war with God. There's hostility between you and God. So you can't be friends with the world and be a lover of God. It's one or the other. And so we looked at that in verses four through five, and then we see the devil. That's the third evil. And there we're told by James in James chapter six, he says, but he who gives more grace, the God, you know, gives, you know, um, he opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And then he says in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil. And so we, we know the attacks of the devil. We know that he shoots those fiery darts. He roars, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom to devour. And what's amazing though, is when you look at verse seven of James four, and you compare it to first Peter five, six through nine, it's pretty interesting to see co- the comparison, because as we start these 10 exhortations that James lays out in four verses, seven through 10, and you see how he begins with the word submit, and you see Peter saying in 1 Peter 5, 6, to humble yourselves before God under the mighty hand of God. That makes sense because he's talking about Satan who goes around, who prowls around like a roaring lion. And James tells us, remember James wrote before Peter, and he says, if you submit, if you line yourself under God and, and you take a stand against the devil, he will flee from you. He has no choice. He is powerless when you are under, as Peter now says, the mighty hand of God. That's why we're able to resist the devil. And that's why he will flee from us. But if we're in the world, if we're giving into the flesh, we will give into Satan. And we will not have authority to resist him. And so you guys, I want you to think of these 10 exhortations, like the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, not replacing them. I'm saying they're in some ways a similarity And what's neat is that, you know, there was a transition when Moses brought down the tablets, the Ten Commandments with the Hebrew people, right? And this is the first letter that was written to the early church. And these 10 exhortations are like that. He's saying, listen, you guys, because remember, he's writing these, these are in verbs, these exhortations. The first one was submit, remember? The second one was resist the devil. And we're going to be looking at the, we're looking at these um, eight other exhortations in verses eight through 10 in a minute. And so, he, he writes these as verbs in the eros tense, meaning these are vitally important. You need to do them. Okay, so don't second guess these things. You can question, right, as you're, as you're growing your faith like I am and, and, and working through things. But if you doubt them to the point of saying they don't do any good, it's gonna wreck you, right? You will be ineffective because you will not be a lover of God and you will bound up uh, or you'll be bound up in lies, so these are so important, you guys, that we apply them. And so when we left off about submitting and resisting, so submitting to God, resisting the devil, we pick things up here now with these eight exhortations for you and I to do in our life. And this is from eight through 10 of James chapter four, where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. That literally means be grieved, be miserable, in mourn. The idea here is to have passionate grief and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt 
you. So again, very quick uh, when you render this in the Greek, even in the English. I mean, he gets to the point. He's Again, he, in what we just read, uh, he, there's eight exhortations. And I just mentioned to you in verse seven, there were two other exhortations. So again, four verses, 10 exhortations, but they're very spicy and short, right? The little snippets of advice that James lists, but they're so important. And so in these, in this short little passage is packed so much information about how you and I can be um, a lover of God, how you, we can grow in our faith. So again, after he identifies those three sources of evil, what James wants to do is he wants to confront the church in their corruption. And I love his approach, okay? So as someone who does a lot of counseling, the way, you know, there's a directness that James has, right? He doesn't sugarcoat. But in this directness, though, there, there is a sympathy. He's very empathetic in how he uh, helps people understand where they're at with God and what they need to do, right? Uh, if it's, if they're not, you know, if they're like, if, for example, he was just saying previously in James chapter four, verses one through seven, if you're at war with God, if you are quarreling with each other, what we can do to bring peace, right? And so notice now the first thing he does in presenting the third exhortation is to draw near to God. Remember he said to submit, but then he says, it's not just submitting that can um, help you grow in your relationship with God. Like it's like, like that being the only thing he says, as you submit to God, meaning you're, you are saying to God, your will be done. And you're resisting the devil saying, I'm not giving into your schemes. And as you do that, you start drawing near to him, meaning you start drawing closer in intimacy with God. So yes, you submit, but submission is not enough. When you do submit, that could lead to intimacy. But if you want to be intimate with God, you have to submit to him. So notice the order in which James addresses these things. It often refers, this, this term drawing near to God, is coming before God in worship. So as you and I resist the devil, our worship will be more meaningful. And then he explains the fourth exhortation, okay? And that is to cleanse your hands. So what James is now talking about is when you're submitting to God, when you're resisting the devil, when you're coming before God and worshiping him, your conduct will be pure. And it's interesting, and James does this frequently, as you know, throughout his little letter, is he uses a lot of Old Testament imagery. And this is what he's doing here when he, taught, when he uses the phrase, cleanse your hands. He's using um, what the priests did in the Old Testament washing their hands before they started their duties in the tabernacle. And you can see that in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 20. And so when he's saying that, he's saying, hey, Christians, when, when you and I go before God in worship, we, we have to make sure, just like when the priest would wa literally wash their hands, we need to make sure that we are, our hearts are purified, that we're asking God for forgiveness, that we're asking God to work in our lives, that we're setting aside things and saying, enough, lay aside sin. God, as I come before you as a holy God, I want to be pure and holy. And so that's why the fifth exhortation now is to purify your hearts. So see again, look at this progression. You know, there, there are times when I may not, you know, in your, you have a desire to do something in the flesh, but you don't do it. 
And so you're saying, God, as I come before you in worship, I want you to purify me. I don't want to give in to this desire. And that's where the fifth exhortation comes in because you want to keep your thoughts and your motives pure. I'm reminded of Psalm 24 verse four, where the psalmist says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And I believe, notice the play on words that James is using here to, to expound on these exhortations. Again, they're, they're little snippets. They're very quick, like little zingers, but they're packed with rich meaning in the Old Testament. And I believe he's using Psalm 24 here. Because if you cleanse your hands and you purify your heart, cleanse your hands, he says here, purify your heart. So what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 24, James is saying here in James chapter four. And notice he says, the psalmist says, and who does not lift up his soul to what is false, that carries the idea of what he was just saying. Not giving into the flesh, not giving into the world, not giving into the, the temptations of the enemy, Satan himself. And then notice he says, not being false and not swearing deceitfully. So not going out there lying and saying things that will only credit yourselves. So these exhortations, you guys, are about you and I, again, being a lover of God. So I ask you, are you drawing near to the Lord? Are you drawing close to the Lord? Are you, do you have intimacy with him? Is that an area of struggle? And if so, then go through these exhortations. Am I spending time with the Lord? Do I even want my conduct to be pure? Or am I keeping this sin over here at bay from other people to know because I don't want to give it up? Am I allowing God to purify my heart, to really cleanse my thought process? What are you thinking upon? What are you, what are you consumed by? Because notice, and he uses this phrase again, James, because he used it back in James chapter one, verse eight. He calls him double-minded. And notice what he says. Let me read you the verse again. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That sounds like he's insulting them. He's calling them sinners, and he's calling them double-minded. Remember that terminology, double-minded, is like double-souled. And again, it goes back to, you can't have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. You can't say you're a lover of God, but you live according to the world. That's a conflicted individual. It's someone who lacks sincere faith because they're consumed by the things of the world. So you may have head knowledge of who God is, know uh, and believe in the resurrection, but you're not living a resurrected life. And so that's a great challenge. He, he's not putting them down. He's not criticizing them, but he is critiquing their position. And then notice he transitions here in verse nine, where he says, be wretched. Now he starts talking about being grievous, being, being miserable and having this passionate grief that, that you're undergoing. Again, what James is doing here in verse nine, as he continues to lay out these exhortations, because he lays out the sixth exhortation, the seventh and the eighth by telling them to grieve and to mourn and to weep. Now you and I can think, well, Jay, isn't that just all one exhortation? So instead of it being 10 exhortations, wouldn't that be just seven exhortations? Well, again, as I was saying, James is specific in the use of words that he's giving here. They're different levels. They're different levels of grief. This is Old Testament imagery that goes back to the prophet Joel. See Joel chapter two, verse 12, when he's describing 
the sixth, seventh, and eighth exhortation, which is grief, mourn, and weep. You see, here's here's what James is talking about. When you sin, you go back to those three evils, given into the flesh, being consumed by the ways of the world, giving into Satan. But you come to the point where you're like, I got to submit my life to God. Okay, let's go back to these exhortations and see why this is so valuable. Why, when I say in the title, these are things, these are seven exhortations you must do. So when you're submitting to God and it's no longer your will, but it's God's will, and you're resisting the devil and you're drawing close to the Lord and you're cleansing your hands and you're purifying your heart, you will be repentive, right? And that's what he's conveying here. He's talking about true repentance. He's talking about sorrow, being sorrowful, being regretful and looking to make restitution for the damage that you have, that, that you've caused, that the sin as you know, the effects of sin that has done to people. And so what James is saying to them is, you know, you want to turn your mourning um, and your joy to gloom. Now, he's not implying that Christians are to remain in a gloomy state like some people take to extreme, right? They're always sorrowful because they're always, you know, uh, looking at the decay and the depravity of man. That's not the point. What he's saying is, you guys, we are emotional creatures. And the depths of grief sometimes will look differently depending on the loss or the experience that you're undergoing. And, And if you have experienced it, which I know all of us have to some degree, you know what I mean. So you can grieve over something. So let's look at the three. You can grieve. There, there could be a grievance, right? There could be a disturbance. You feel a little miserable. Maybe it's a letdown. But then you get into the phase of mourning, okay, over a loss. And it's going to take some time. Whether you miss that person or it's a change of pace or you've had to move recently, and you're mourning over what you had lost, and but you're being hopeful because you've made some decisions, let's say, that your hoping will be better in the end. But then there's the weeping. And oftentimes in the weeping stage is someone who is very emotional and they've been hurt to the point where every time they think of something, it causes them to be very sorrowful. It brings them to tears, right? And so the, you're 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 you know you're emotionally on high alert, okay? And so again, the sorrow, the regret, the mourning, they they'll look differently depending on what you and I are going through at this particular point, you guys, in our lives. I've known a lot of Christians, you guys, who because again they were they were sinning, and and again I I know this all too well as a sinner myself, and you. Or living a double-minded life. And you get to a point where you're like, look, don't punish yourself. Like there's a lot of people, you guys, when they just can't deal with all the consequences in their life, they take their life. And that's never the answer. You and I know that. But it's hard to try to convince people when that's all they see is their sin. What they've done. I'll never forget a friend of mine they committed certain sins and it just troubled him so much. He never talked about it, never talked about it. Finally, just it oozed up to, to the point, you know, it was oozing out of his life and he got to a point where he just he just was just blasting me with all of this sinful stuff that goes back years. And by the time he's telling me this, it was at the point where I'm like, where do you even begin 
with him? How, how do you even try to reconcile his relationship with God, trying to be a mediator, right? A brother in Christ to help him. So you guys, a lot of this stuff is not easy. It's not easy. But when James is saying, be wretched and mourn and weep, he's saying, you guys have to properly feel emotionally what you're going through and not disregard it. There are times when your laughter will be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And if that's a period of time that you're, you're, you're living your life in, you need to bring, you know, you need to give that to the Lord and not deny it. So that's why this ninth exhortation, James is telling the scattered church to put away a, a scoffle uh, attitude, meaning laughter, and you need to be repentant of your sin. So in one sense, you're expressing and identifying and, and again, breathing in, if you will, the grief that you're undergoing that you did not cause. But then there's also the turning your mourning and your joy to, to gloom. You have, you have to let your laughter be turned to that where you say, you know what? Enough is it about, enough about me. This is about the Lord. I need to repent of my sinful uh, behavior. Like, like uh, Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 6, 24 and 26. You can check that out. And I need to, I need to make sure that this, this attitude that I have, this pride, right? Like, you know, kind of like that attitude, like, you know, it's all, it's no big deal. I got this. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Or you just laugh it away. And a lot of people were doing that at the time of James when he was writing this. That's why he's identifying it. So in one sense, yes, mourn you guys through what you're going through. Weep in a way that can draw, that help you draw near to God. Grieve in a way that you need to. And if somebody's in that state uh, emotionally, um, don't disregard that. And if you're going through that right now, don't think that God is punishing you and he hates you. Embrace it. But at the same time, if you have committed sin and, and, it, and it's become a laughing matter to you and you're not repentant, you need to repent. Otherwise, it's going to continue to get worse. I love what the IVP New Testament series says. It says, quote, the third couplet describes deep and acute sorrow, not merely regret over mistakes, but actual grieving mourning and wailing over one's sin. The three verbs in order make vivid impressions. Okay. So there's the Greek word talaporio, a state of being miserable or wretched. Pantheo, the great sadness of mourning. And kleo, a vehement or bitter weeping. Again, James is calling for what Jesus prescribed in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 4, using a participle of the verb pantheo. The seriousness of sin is unmistakable here, and Christians today who lack that sense of seriousness about sin are weakened and corrupted, end quote. So I love that because it breaks down the different levels. So again, like guys, in one sense, when you're hurt, you just, you have, because there's so many Christians today who either try to make Christians be rational entirely or emotionally entirely. It's both. But one thing that we can recognize, callousness that is, and if we're really being a lover of God, is that when we sin, we brush it off. That's not a good sign. If you are sinning and you're not mourning over the sin, 
the sins got you. And that's essentially what James is talking about. Now, if you've ever seen a Middle Eastern person, when they lose a loved one and they're packed in the streets and they're going to the funeral and they have the body or you see that mother or that father holding that child, especially when you guys see during war, right? Especially with the Palestinians and the Israelis and there's been a couple bombs, whatever, suicide bombers or something. And they're holding that love, that loved one, that child in their arms and they're wailing. It's a horrific sight. It's a horrific sight. And that's a situation that as a father for, and you listening, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you never want to experience yourself. But that's like the deepest level of mourning. I lost a mother when I was 15 and that was a, a deep, deep loss. And one that I'll never forget. And it still plagues me from time to time. But as I've grown in my faith and trust in the Lord, as I've drawn closer to God, I, I find peace. I mean, where to the point where, and I've even done on this podcast where I've talked about losing my mom and what I, what I went through. Um, and some of you listening, you've gone through something even more horrific in a way, or you've lost many loved ones. Many of you I know, because we have tens of thousands of listeners, and I know in our audience that you've lost a child. So when James is talking about this, we get that. But then there's also the level of mourning, you guys, and wailing when you sin against God. How can I do such a wrong to him? When you see the weight of your sin, the seriousness of your sin, and it's unmistakable, you are to repent. When you lack the sense to do that, it shows you the corruption, not just the, 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 the carnality and the callousness, but it shows the corruption in your life. So keep that in mind. So those are the nine exhortations, you guys. The final one, the 10th exhortation here in verse 10 is to humble yourselves before the Lord. The Greek word here for humble is lowliness of mind. That's where we get, you know, obviously the form of humility. And notice the beauty of us living out these 10 exhortations, like the 10 commandments in the New Testament. God will exalt you. That word exalt means he will lift you up above all heights. So the 10th exhortation is to humble yourself before God and to obey him. You know, as I just look at that, you guys, in scripture it brings me to tears. Because really, and I know I'm not alone when I say this, I want to live a humble life. And boy, do I have a lot of work. You know, I love Proverbs 3, 33 through 35. Solomon writes, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So again, James, you guys, in the short letter, he's using so much of scripture to drive home his points to the early church. In this short section, in this letter here in James chapter four, verses eight through 10, James forces the early church to make their choice. Okay, essentially he's asking this question. Will it be the world or will it be God? Will it be fighting with one another, amongst one another, or is it gonna be forgiving one another? 
Are you willing? Are you going to be living a wicked life or are you going to be living a repentant life? And that's why you guys were talking about, are you going to be a lover of God or a lover of the world? Because in the end, the pleasures of the world lead to destruction. But the one who recognizes his or her need for God will be restored. The question is, are you living a corrupted life or are you living a restored life? We're reminded as I close, Colossians 3 verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 1 Peter 5 verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So my friends, I pray that you will be applying these 10 exhortations in your life so that you will be a lover of God who will continue to stand strong, not just in your faith, but you will stand strong as you resist the devil and God uses you to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.